Next Chapter Podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, I'm Michael Goodfriend, and I'm the executive producer of the Play On podcast. With me today is Victor Milana Maog, a respected director, educator, and arts leader with over 25 years of experience directing projects, programs, and companies that boldly meet at the intersections of world-class art-making, popular culture, and forward-thinking community engagement. Today, I am talking to him while he is at the Savannah College of Art and Design, and uh, it is my absolute pleasure to have him here with us to talk about the Play On podcast series, Othello, which he directed just brilliantly. Victor, welcome to the bonus content series for the Play On podcast series of Othello. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you again and to be invited into this incredible uh, initiative. I've been telling people this. I believe this is the cruelest tragedy ever written. <laughs> Do you agree with that? Well, I think that's one of the first things that we mentioned when we met the actors, which is, are you able to actually step into the truths and realities and cruelties of this piece? I, I do think it's cruel. Even the, the very container of which the Othello character is built to try to create something wholly full-blooded in by a man who might not know your experience uh, is also in its, its own cage. So yes, there's some uh, levels of cruelty and just uh, human cost in, in doing this sort of work. By a man who might not know your experience, can you, can you elaborate on what you mean by that? I think I think this is uh, Iago's play, William Shakespeare, a white man trying to create uh, a black experience. Mm. And I think for centuries now, there have been many incredible actors of African uh, uh, lineage who've had to try to wrestle and make fully flesh someone that maybe is not uh, as fleshed out or as multidimensional as one might hope for. And so what becomes a sort of lauded character is actually uh, a sort of encasement, really, of what a person might be or uh, a shell of what a person might be and not full, not, not fully breathing, not, not, uh, not liberated in thought even, not, not even really hopeful uh, in some ways because it's just a projection of a person. You've spent a great deal of time working on this particular iteration of the play, not not the podcast. I mean, you were to spend a great deal of time working on the podcast, but you've been working on this with Mfaniso since long before we even knew that we'd be doing a podcast, right? That's right. Um, I've been working with Mfaniso Adolfia, the incredible Nigerian-American writer, who, when I met her, uh, was an actor with a couple of plays that... Uh, that were in her desk about uh, a Nigerian family experience. She never thought 
this series of plays would make it to the stage. So when I met her some 10 years ago, we were doing a stage reading of the play that she she one day hoped would make the light of day, but uh, she didn't have much hope. Uh, what's happened since then is she's written a whole collection, of, uh, it's a, almost like a 10 play or nine play series of this Nigerian American family. It's been produced off Broadway, major regional theaters, and she's sprung, uh, sprung to life, uh, not only on the stage, but on TV and really put, put a mark on culture. Uh, and, and I've gotten to tag along. Uh, and, uh, and, so I met her even before anyone knew her name, before any of her work reached the stage. And uh, and Lou, uh, Louis, who runs the, the Play On uh, program, reached out to me and she said, well, you've been working on a series of her works in that Nigerian American series. How would you like to do this incredible adaptation of Othello? M really wants you to work on it. And so I... I said, let's take on this challenge. I certainly know about otherness. I'm, I'm not a black man. I'm a Filipino man, but I certainly know about being considered a pet, perpetual outsider and someone who needs to understand a culture and the coding or the decoding and uh, language work and all of those things. Uh, so I'd said to say yes. And uh, in its own way, you talk about cruelty to to be able to step into the language, those words, that world is is also very difficult. But you know, that's what we do, isn't it? We we explore these things, and uh, I wouldn't do it uh, with anyone else uh, than M, uh, because she is really a beacon and uh, an inspiration to me. She was, you know, when we we always begin with the the translator. Of course, we begin with the playwright Shakespeare, because that is the that is that's the source material for these podcasts, but then we go to the translator and Amphaniso was, you were the only director she mentioned. So this relationship that you have with her is obviously long lasting and founded on a level of trust that's, that's untouchable. And that relationship between playwrights and directors is foundational in so many uh, groundbreaking works that, that come forth in our day and age. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship and what the responsibility of the director is in relation to the playwright? We talk about, uh, you know, somebody like Lynn Nottage, who always starts off with Kate, um, Kate Worski. I'm sure I'm getting the name right, wrong. Um, but uh, uh, and it seems like the same relationship has evolved between you and Infiniso. Um Something has evolved. I mean, when we first met a decade ago, we were put together on sort of a director, writer blind date, hmm. talking on the phone. And uh, she wanted to talk to me about her her piece, a, a very delicate uh, landing piece for her, her Nigerian American series. And, uh, and I was just blunt with her. I said, you know, the way that I work is this. I will tell you I do not understand things. And I will represent the audience i will represent a lot of folks who who haven't read the books don't know the the histories and um and so what you've written i don't understand and i and i i don't think she liked that hmm. on the phone and uh, she she tells me uh she was she did not like me and and this was not a good first date on the phone but that's sort of like 
transparency and even like owning up to both uh, my dramaturgical eye, but also my my stupidity or my lack of knowledge or my narrowness around certain subjects helps bridge her work to a wider audience or bridges her work uh, to, to those who may not, just not know that subject matter. And so that's what I always represent. And that's what I serve for her. If, if And you were in many sessions with us, Michael, and you really are a great receiver and editor and uh, supporter of, of all these things. And you said, what, whatever, whatever you need, we, we will do here. And uh, uh, you're an exceptional ex- uh, executive producer in that way. And so what I try to do in that light is I try to to be uh, the the person who listens, absorbs, brings back an idea that might not be the exact thing that the writer wants, but hopefully propels that seed, that vision forward, even if it may seem counterintuitive to what their own uh, movie is like. And it's in that friction of me in service and sometimes trying to rattle my brain and all the different aesthetic, you know, uh, tricks and frames that I might have uh, that hopefully wakes up the play even more so and, you know, uh, inspires them to to keep digging into the play or inspires them to rewrite or or uh, dig into a thread of the the theme or the action or the plot that um, that is uh, dangerous for them. I hear you saying that that the director, your job as the director is to ask questions. Ask questions, challenge, uh, sometimes rattle, uh, all to ignite something. Uh, and and almost, almost always, I always say yes, Michael. I always say yes to whatever their idea is so that I know, so we both know that it is the right way or the wrong way. And, I, and I'd say yes in a big way. Um, you, you almost will never hear me say no to a playwright's idea. So mm-hmm. that it, it's never a question if that was the way. We went full out, full like guns are crazy out in that direction. And then we we're going to make a U-turn or whatever we have to do to answer what they're really trying to get at. What are you igniting with this telling of Othello? What are the questions you're asking and what are they doing? What are those questions? How do they ignite a listener, a performer, an interpreter of this work? What we're igniting is hopefully the sense that this language from 400 years ago is as resonant as today. What we're also igniting is that the music and the musicality and the pauses wake up cells, our cells to these deep, painful stories, things that are working at a different level. It is as Amphoniso is, as Shakespeare is deeply musical, deeply dissonant, and there are screeches and tones and breath work here that that is not just poetic, but but primitive and animalistic and base and desperate and choking. It's trying to almost uh, capture the person who is both uh, social, socialized and speaks and works in a uh, 
in a co- social context, and then our base survival instincts and are the way that we choke and kill both ourselves and one another. And those are the sounds that cannot be denied no matter what century you're in. A screech is still a screech. A choke and a gasp and a suffocation is still that. And we're trying to awaken the audience to this sort of human suffering and cruelty and evil Hmm. and flattening of human spirits and personage. What do we gain, do you think, by, by seeing and experiencing evil? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I do. There's many times where I uh, want to close the shutters, flip on the YouTube and just scroll, scroll my life away. <laughs> and I think to be able to work within the pauses and the breaths and to examine a character like a Yago, who is as kind, as sweet, as gentle, and and hopefully unsuspicious as can be, and understand that this figure is uh, is as manipulative, as dastardly, but also uh, comes forward with a face of love. So it gives us an awareness that evil comes in many different ways, but also what it shows us is the evil of having to portray roles of roles that we've come to accept because of society and the way that we've accepted things without question of who we can marry who we can love what our children are supposed to look like i mean this is deeply uh resonant with me i'm filipino born in the philippines my wife is half Greek, half Albanian, white, born in America. And our kids are, are, are of different heritages. And so how do you navigate the world where someone eyes you in a different way, whether spoken or unspoken, questions the validity of a relationship or intelligence or status? For me, that's deeply personal. Uh, and it's also deeply personal that these stories with our thumbprints today in 2023 can be opened up in some sort of time capsule 500 years from now and to have an adapter like Anthony So and a cast like we have um, give voice to this story uh, is very powerful for me. That's the power of uh, exhibiting evil or at least wrestling with evils. What is your relationship with Jeremy Tardy, who played Othello in this podcast series? Jeremy Tardy is an extraordinary young actor. Um, And I met him some 10 years ago. Late 2000s, I was running a performing arts program, a training program in in the, the mountains of Colorado in Steamboat Springs, where Olympians train and whatnot. It's a, a very old performing arts program dance, theater, equestrian programs uh, happened there. And I took over in 2008. Um, What ended up happening was as I took over the program, I wanted to um, have a student body that that reflected the world that I lived in. That means the diverse world with with folks who actually had a point of view and were going to actually 
have the courage to participate in the culture and in the stories that they tell. And uh, one of the things that uh, I did back then was I uh, had a partnership with the Juilliard School, Jim Hutton Juilliard School, and uh, his students would come train with me in the summer times. And uh, for anyone who went to Juilliard, this is a jaw dropper. Like no one, nowhere in the world was Juilliard allowed to train besides Juilliard. Uh, mm. But uh, Jeremy was moving from his freshman year to his sophomore year. And he was one of the two students uh, from Juilliard who came to train with me in that summer. I believe it was the summer of 2009. And uh, and he just went out to the boonies with me on a, where horses played and where uh, Agnes DeMille learned uh, the, the, the cowboy dances that went into Oklahoma. And he turned with me up in the mountains there. And I just... I just remember him being so diligent with study, always carried a book around, always so uh, so focused, but always kind. And for me, really the reason why I teach, Michael, is because uh, sometimes I get sad in the world, right? I, or I get sad with this business. There's a lot of negative things, commercialism, just some jerks. And I thought being able to teach meant that I could be with a group of people uh, in creating uh, a sort of kindness and... and uh, in culture and a storytelling that I could continue to work and live in. And so it's always been my dream to work with former students. And so uh, we called Jeremy up. I said, who can embody this role? And, and we, and we just, you and I, to, uh, to, to your credit said, we need to find the right person for this role because once we find that trust and that level of humanity, however this role is played, will become just rich. And uh, Jeremy has done that. And uh, he's gone on to to be uh, on TV and uh, uh, one of the leads in, in, in a Ron Howard series on ABC and whatnot. But he still picked up the phone and, uh, and said, hey, let's do this thing, even with his sort of teaching schedule now. That's the relationship that we have. And I think that's a relationship that I saw throughout this entire next chapter of podcast series. All the folks who came in this room came out of the trusted relationships uh, that we all had uh, uh, brought through through the decades, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, it was really really cool to be back in the room with Jeremy, uh, who who did a bang up job, and I still I still shake after I hear those first takes. I still do. And Kaylee Carter was she a student of yours as well, who plays Desdemona? No, uh, she was not. Uh, she is one of the 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 uh, highlighted alum at uh, SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, where I'm a professor. And you know what? Uh, she called me up one day, and she wanted to help. She was in town, and she wanted to coach some of the acting classes. And I, so I just met her, and I had coffee, and I just talked to her. And there's just a sort of dynamic quality to her. And, and I said to her, I'd love to work with you one day. There, she had just a, a ferocity, intelligence, and just sort of a, a, a personal mission with the work. And I knew this sort of agency was something that I wanted in Desdemona. We both wanted something uh, contemporary, uh, 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 Desdemona, that wasn't, uh, if you will, just milk toast. Mm -hmm. And so she brings that sense of the contemporary, but this sort of, someone trying to burst out of their own silo at that at that time and so i to answer i met her having a coffee 
and uh, our casting director from Telsey uh, brought her to the table and I knew her. And of course she has a body of work that is really uh, astounding. So she's no slouch at all. But I knew that we had the opportunity to get someone really singular in that role opposite uh, Jeremy. And she said, yes. The chemistry between them is so palpable. And it's remarkable to me that, that, you know, there we were in booths separated by a thousand miles. And yet we feel as though we are there in the intimacy of that relationship with them. The love between them is so palpable and the pain of their destruction is so extreme. It's love, just gut-wrenching. I love actors, uh, Michael, you being one, and you being not only a wonderful producer, but also somebody who is an artist. The cost of doing these things, to go uh, even in in uh, a solitary booth to to be choked, to understand the pain. I mean, yeah, even though we're around the country in different little spaces, we understand the cost of each person. We hear it. And that's what I think great actors do. And that's why we can never forget these performances. I mean, these, I, I, I don't want to blow blow up what I heard today, but I mean, it, it seared something deep in me. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable what happened in different pockets of America that comes together in this, in this uh, episode, uh, but there's a cost. There's a cost. It's, 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 uh, these are not easy moments for actors to portray. So I, I really appreciate that these guys did it, uh, uh, even across time, across space. Join Play On Premium to get merch like t-shirts, hoodies, and coffee mugs, ad-free episodes, and bonus content video featuring interviews with the actors, producers, playwrights, and directors who brought it all to life. Go to ncpodcasts.com and subscribe to Play On Premium to support the art and the artists. Are you comfortable with continuing to do this play, or do you feel like you've now done it and you want to move on? I love that this version of the play has been in the stage reading form. Now it's a it's a published form of the, from the play on uh, series, and that it's uh, in this podcast. But nothing beats the idea of getting in a room and doing it in front of people, and creating an event where you're encased and become witness to this sort of uh, murderous action, and everyone's a witness and accountable at the same time for not turning their heads, uh, feeling that happen. Uh, sh short answer, yeah, I'd love to do it. And I'd, lo I'd love to do it. And I think it needs to be done just to see these actors of uh, carry the roles of a lifetime. I mean, that's that's the thing. That's, that's also why I'm in this space. Michael, I never thought I'd be directing Shakespeare. I love, I love being in the Shakespeare space. I'm, I'm unfortunately one of the few directors who can work at a, a certain level uh, with Shakespeare and musical theater and things like that, um, just because of my background. I mean, these are sacred spaces, right, for uh, art and culture. So yeah, we got to get it on the biggest stage and and uh, put on a production like this and with the sort of, uh, with the rhythms that are uh, sort of, uh, sort of the, the Shakespearean rhythms, but they're still so contemporary today. Yeah, totally. Uh, 
sign me up. I know our time is limited, but I, I do want to ask you, you didn't know Barrett O'Brien, did you? The actor who plays Iago before no. we did this. No. What was what was that like? So th- this this actor who you don't know at all, whose work actually I don't know if you if you knew, um, but but we brought him to you. You you trusted the the choice. That's a leap of faith, I must say, for a director to entrust somebody they don't know with the responsibility of a role like Iago. Um. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I try to play casual on, on podcasts and on TV, but I, I, you know, I'm a director, a, li- a lifelong director. Um, and, I, and, I, and I try to play folksy if I can, but I'm a control freak, <laughs> a control freak. But I, I was in those meetings with you, Michael, you knew the quality of actor that, uh, and the quality of person that we liked and the sort of, uh, steel cage we were making and you brought him forward and you said i think i have the guy and um and uh, and you said do you need to meet him and, and i said no i trust you michael you had been in you know point by point every part of the creation process and it, you know it takes a lot to trust but i knew that you understood uh what the soundscape was going to be like the the quality of the actors, the engines behind them, the pivots, the swings, and so uh, I knew that you'd uh, you'd find someone right for us. And if you didn't, uh, I would hunt you down. Yeah, I would hunt him down. But he was awesome. He was more than that. He was a gentleman and like the biggest heart, uh, of course. Which is all uh, you, you're surprised that he can pull out such a Yago because of all the the dark shades. But this. Barrett O'Brien is a gem, and I'm so glad you introduced him to us. And I will, and I will, you know, uh, hopefully work with him again if he'll have me. Um, but yeah, thank you for that. That's 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 what it was like. It was it was it was not hard at all because once I heard him, I knew he was right. It is remarkable to me that some of the best portrayals of villainy are wrought by people of incredible integrity. Uh, and and abundant love, uh, like Barrett. I, I have you experienced that as a director that casting somebody who actually appears to have the opposite attributes of the character of the character can can bring those attributes forth more vividly somehow. I, I don't know if I'm a very good director sometimes, and sometimes I'm an awful director. By the way. You know, and and I need great actors to help shepherd me. But what I do do and what I do know is that I can work with actors to shepherd through some of the fear. The Mm -hmm. fear of being ugly, violent, the darkest, sharing the darkest shades of ourself, that whether we know that or we've, that's been part of our constellation or our family tree or whatnot. And uh, what struck me about Baird is that uh he was unafraid to go to those places and you know i'm i'm not meant to question where that comes from or how he knows that or how uh you know today you know i can sit calmly with you though probably some years ago one could call me a mega tyrant hmm. uh so 
uh, I can say that I admire the actors and and do work with actors in shepherding fear around these things about um, the vile quality of humanness or even uh, our, our person. And uh, he went there, and and I'm thankful for that. And just like Kaylee and Jeremy went there to these places around betrayal or their own uh, their own mutilations, if you will. Um, but that's awesome. That's why I get to have a front row seat to that. And uh, yeah, so thanks for being bared along. Awesome, awesome. Team. Thanks, thanks for being game. I have to say that the room you created. Uh, for this project was one of such incredible trust and uh, the feeling of love uh, was abundant every single day uh, and and in every take and, and the, the direction you gave was with such uh, gentility and gentleness. I don't know if that's redundant, but uh, it, there, there was no question that it was a safe space. And I think that's just imperative in all the work we do but especially with a play like this a story like this that is just uh uh, uh brutal uh and the translation that that uh Mfiniso did is brutal it pulls no punches just to zoom out a little bit i i mean i have to uh share that, that there's a container here for that sort of work, right? Because we do build trust and build in all sorts of different ways. And then we can find the momentum to work in uh, with the depth and speed and pace uh, and cunning that we can. Uh, but if we zoom out, one of the things that you agreed to and provided uh, right away, next chapter provided right away, was the idea of not only a dramaturg, but a cultural consider a consultant in uh, dramaturg Martin uh, to talk about not only the histories and and the the, the nuances of story and and uh, research, but also uh, the the pathway to playing these characters and how how do you take care of yourself as an actor? So we had spaces for Jeremy and all the actors actually, and Kaylee and uh, and Barrett and all the players to be able to touch base with her around the sort of like the hot button issues, the, the, the mental anguish it takes to play these roles in a short number of hours and then try to go back to real life because it is a real, it, it's a real offering for anybody. And so thank you for, for that, uh, for that uh, care and that platform and, and frankly, the funds to make that happen that, I mean, you know, show me the money, right? Show me the money. <laughs> that we can actually have that sort of safe space. I think if people didn't uh, feel that way, that you, we wouldn't be hearing the, the sort of performances uh, that we are getting. I, I totally agree. And and I, I will say it was not my idea. Uh, uh, the idea originated uh, with Louis Douthat from Play on Shakespeare uh, and was uh, then echoed by Mfiniso. And uh, so for me, it was a no-brainer that we had to do this. And boy, am I glad. I, I, I think that uh, it's necessary. You know, uh, I'm sure it raises eyebrows occasionally among audience, like cultural consultant. What is that? Why? Uh, and I hope we can get Martine uh, Key Green Rogers on uh, just to talk about what that is and the necessity for it in our day and age. Uh there's so much more to talk about, Victor. Uh, what you're teaching at, uh, you mentioned Savannah College of Art and Design. I mentioned it in the intro. You're a professor there. 
what what do you do in what what is it that you're teaching well we have an incredible faculty of you know very well educated and very uh uh strong credentialed people so i sometimes question what i am teaching uh right when you have all, all these experts i just go well uh I think the I do technically teach acting, audition, directing. Uh, I also do main stage productions. We're building up a music theater program. One of the things that's really cool about uh, SCAD is that it's a boundary-breaking place. We have a Hollywood backlog, resources that uh, that uh, rival Hollywood studios, and mm. you know, uh, it's it's a real place. But to your question, what do I teach? What do I want to teach? I, I teach folks that their personal text is valid and that they have value to a room. And so their version of Juliet is going to be different than another person's, and which is really a crucial step in, like, I think, actor training as opposed to just being a, a commodity. Well, I know you have to go teach a class, so I'm not going to keep you any longer, but it is an absolute pleasure to just peek a little bit deeper into the process of creating these podcasts, your journey with this story and with Infiniso throughout the years. Thank you so, so much for your exquisite work and sensitivity in telling this story. It's, it's our privilege that you agreed to be a part of it with us. Thank you, Michael, for switching the schedule so that I could work on it. Uh, more than that, thanks for your delicacy in all the moments of the play. There's, there's no moment in this play that is uh, without your touch and your intelligence and your support. So uh, right back at you. You, uh, you keep on doing awesome work, all right? Thank you. You've been listening to the Play On Podcast bonus content series for Othello. You can learn more about the Play On Podcast at Next Chapter Podcast website, ncpodcast.com. That's N is in next, C is in chapter, podcast with an S at the end, dot com, where you can find other Play On Podcast series and interviews, along with talk podcasts like The 500, The 10, Beef with Bridget Todd, and a whole lot more. I'd like to thank Jeremiah Tittle, the founder of Next Chapter Podcast, and my producer, Pete Musto. Our audio engineer, editor, and sound designer is Justin Cortese. Be sure to subscribe to Next Chapter Podcast for updates on all the latest content, and don't forget to rate and review our shows. I'm Michael Goodfriend, and I look forward to sharing more incredible works in the Play on Podcast series with you, along with lots of enlightening bonus content at Next Chapter Podcast. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Next Chapter Podcasts.